0: Hanging out on 94.0 Revive FM and today we have a special guest in the house, Cal, a really good friend of mine, is going to talk to all of you lovely people today about his journey from back in the day, we're going to start right from the beginning, all the way through to present day, where mashallah, he is running a successful business as an estate agent he's also written his own book how many people can uh, how, how many people can claim to have written their own book at the uh, the ripe old age of what where, where are you now Cal in your mid mid 30s 36 36 yeah. so so much to talk to you about Cal um so welcome to the show how you, doing? you how's your uh how's your week been so far because I'm... yeah well,
1: th- th- thank you for having me on um i don't i don't do this very often so yeah great good 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 to be on so uh, yeah week's been good you know like we're in a lockdown at the moment so we're somewhat limited to what we can do um but yeah you know
0: yeah, it's a it's so far so good yeah so far so okay. good 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 news and uh let's uh let's uh maybe uh take people give people a little bit of context like we we've known each other for a very long time probably going on 15 years maybe longer uh, yeah. i would say from uh gosh uh i would say around 2008 or something onwards probably isn't it 2008. yeah yeah, maybe, yeah along those lines yeah. and we probably met out of uni actually because i met you yeah. a few, few few uni friends Yeah, I remember because we've obviously got that
1: that uh, group that we're on, and we were on that group since the BlackBerry days, which was back in two thousand and eight, wasn't it? Yeah, on the old BlackBerry messengers.
0: Damn, two (laughs) thousand eight. Time flies, (laughs) dude. Where's time gone? Seriously, seriously, where's time gone? (laughs) It's
1: scary, honestly. And as you get older, it it just gets worse. But
0: yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I know, I know, but. Right, we're not all. it's not all doom and gloom. We're going to give, give everyone some uh, some um, interesting we're going to give everyone some interesting um, advice if they're looking to start their own business because you can definitely um, you can definitely help in that arena to give some of your experience. Yep. Uh but as as I mentioned Cal and I go way back. We we in fact to be honest like since Cal since I've known Cal I think you've been in the uh, real estate space right i think out of uni you you were working as an estate agent is that correct well,
1: well uh, i mean after after university i did a brief stint in uh, mobile phones uh working for car warehouse um then we had the uh, recession um you know the sort of 2007 2008 recession uh at, at which point I moved to London because I was offered a position for a central London uh, lettings firm, and um, and yeah, so did that, and that's where the sort of journey began. So it was very sort of at grassroots. Well, I wouldn't say grassroots. It's, it's yeah, a very basic junior level. I was just you know doing viewings for my boss, um, getting people to sign up on rental properties. And um, he would then do the rest, you know, and, uh, and you know, would get, get paid for it, basically. So uh, it was a lot of running around. Uh, the office was based in Holborn, and we were renting out loft-style apartments in Hackney, Dalston, you know, uh, all over the place, you know, uh, London Fields, the really nice lofty style apartments with the exposed brickwork and the exposed beams. And they were beautiful, beautiful properties. So it was a really nice insight to, you know, uh, at the very beginning to what the sort of London rental property market was like, really. Um, and yeah, so we did that for about a year and then, and then moved on to the next firm. So yeah, it was uh, quite, quite a varied, varied sort of uh, career in that sense, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned that you're working in Carphone Warehouse yeah. um, during the recession. just before before the recession um did you when you were at university what what did you study uh i was studying business and finance business and finance yeah that's where you got some some of your financial acumen from and business (laughs) business acumen so did you always think to yourself at university that this would be the route you take and eventually start your own business or did you have other plans um There was a part of me that always wanted
1: to work for myself, yes. Um, You know, the reason why I studied business and finance is purely because, you know, it it gave you that insight to how a business's uh, funds work, you know. And, um, you know, I always knew that a part of me is going to work for a business. So, you know, it's handy to have that knowledge but also I could apply it to, you know, if I started working for myself at some point. So yeah, it, it, there was a part of me that did have that thinking for sure.
0: It's the uh, South Asian blood. Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, everyone <laughs> I speak, all of our group of mates, we've got we've got a good group of mates, as uh, Cal mentioned, and, and we've got a big WhatsApp thread. Um, I think most of them, have the entrepreneurial bug even if they're working full-time yeah they always got a side hustle going on or they're running a business it's uh it's just it's 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 definitely something in our blood
1: yeah it's uh you know
0: you know in some ways we should be content
1: with what we have but you know uh unfortunately the moment you start becoming content you start getting lazy and you know you start losing that ambition and that drive and you know when when you have a business you've got to have that ambition you've got to have that drive because you've got to know where you're going to be in the next 12 months 24 months 36 months so yeah it's it's a it's a, it's a bizarre thing yeah for sure
0: yeah that's so true and also I think it's interesting that I, I, like the barriers to entry to to start a business have completely reduced like obviously when our you know grandparents or uh, parents um came to the country i mean my my mom grew up here but her um, so my grandma granddad they started a business in Leeds uh, because they had no other opportunities given to them so they what had to be very resourceful and uh, entrepreneurial so set up their own clothing business and then because of that my mum when she got married um, uh, my mum and dad decided that maybe um, garment the garment trade or the rag trade would be the right avenue because of the experience that they'd had the family yeah. they never you know my I'm sure you know Also, the public sector was, uh, you know, um, also an area that a lot of uh, uh, South Asians went into. But business was was huge. And during that era as well, it that it was booming. You could set up a business, a brick and mortar business and do pretty well. So they had, you know, independent retail stores um, and they were doing wholesale um, trade of garments you know, manufacturing in the UK, not necessarily getting everything from abroad like they do nowadays, and still being able to make really, really good living from it. And then obviously things change, you know, during, I think, Thatcher period with where, you know, a lot of businesses went under, a lot of people lost their homes and so on and so forth. So people had to kind of rethink their, their approach. But they had it good for a while, I think, uh, during probably the 80s, early 80s uh, going into early 90s and then it obviously things became a bit more i think i felt became a bit more difficult but then the, as a the digital age emerged those barriers to entry have reduced so our generation who went through university we went through university at the same time <clears throat> kind of saw the come up of personal computing of the uh, internet um, of digital businesses emerging and the opportunities were now no longer just brick and mortar businesses. It was, oh, hold on a minute. We can set up a business literally online and small overheads. We don't need our own offices and, and be successful. So it's like where, where entrepreneurial, uh, we have entrepreneurial bug which we've kind of said established like uh, within our community so and then you're seeing loads of people now shift to setting up their own on uh, digital businesses so I think Mm -hmm. like you say like now when you left university um, and you decided to you know go into um, the real estate uh, world did you see was that part of your uh, rationale to start your own business was like, ah, oh, the, the barriers to entry are much lower now. Um, what was the rationale for you to kind of start your own?
1: Well, you know, I fell into real estate very much by accident. You know, it was, it, it, I wasn't thinking about it at all. You know, um, you know, it, it, d- during during the last recession, it was one of those things where, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs especially in finance and stuff like that. And my, my real aim was to go into some form of banking, finance, that sort of thing, you know. But then once the, once the recession happened, you know, we were seeing on the news that thousands of jobs were lost from the likes of the Lehman's, Lehman Brothers and so forth, you know. Um, so it, it, was just, it was just one of those things where, okay, well, that avenue is somewhat closed you know, and I've just had an offer from a company that's offering me, you know, a, uh, a position in, in property. So I thought, okay, well, let's let's give that a go. What spurred me on to start my own business was the fact that I was in my, uh, I was in my sort of, uh, between my mid to late twenties, I worked for a firm in, uh, in the Canada water area. And I was there for about six years. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I was very fortunate to work with a boss who was very mentoring in the sense that, um, you know, he showed me all the ropes. He showed me what to do, how to do things, how to conduct yourself. Um, you know, and he this is a guy that had 20, 20 year, years of state agency experience under his belt, uh, you know, as a business owner. So I very much learned from what I thought was the best. And... Um, after doing six years there, I thought to myself, "Well, oh, okay, um, I was kind of at a crossroads where, okay, I could continue working for this gentleman, and eventually he might retire or something, and I, you know, and I could maybe take over the firm or something along those lines, or I could throw myself into the deep end, and you know, try and sort of challenge myself and try and make something out of my, my own graft and hard work, and." Um, <clears throat> so obviously in the area that we work here I was working there's a couple of other firms as well and um, I was sort of talking to another gentleman from another uh, another estate agents, And um, we kind of just like knocked our heads together and thought, okay, let's just try and put our experiences together and start something of our own. And, and, and that's what we did. So we started our, uh, our original estate agency business called Hannon Homes in, um, in t- uh, 2015. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a sort of small independent estate agency where we did rentals sales. Uh, We dabbled in the sort of land uh, side of things as well, where, you know, we would appraise land. And, uh, you know, if a seller wants to sell his plot of land, we'd put it together with a developer or, you know, a land buyer or something along those lines. So we did that. And um, it was it it, it was going okay, you know. And um, but our main sort of, you know, we started uh, it, it was it was all going well. But then our sort of we started getting away from the whole original ethos that we had where we wanted to build an estate agency and that's where the you move brand came into um, into uh, into our foresight we you know we sort of teamed up with the you move network um, because they've got they've got a very good reputation they checked us out as well to see what we're about and we sort of you know teamed up and um, since we've been you move you know things are great you know we've got great sales prowess. So uh, any, any of our, you know, any property sellers that want to use us to uh, market their property, you know, we can really put their property on the forefront. Uh, You know, we use so many different types of advertising. So it's, uh, it's good in that sense. You know, it's uh, it really puts us back into the estate agency basics, which is what we wanted to do, which is what our, where our passions lie really.
0: So, that's really interesting because you said um, you re you you basically be partnered with U Move, so so U Move is, um, uh, is is a bigger organization that you yeah. you've become a part of. So can you tell me a bit about U Move, like how, who are they? And- uh,
1: so so U Move, um, they they're a company. Uh, the, the head office is based in Leeds. Um, we're, we're a network of around 130 uh, offices all over the uk um in london you know we uh, we've got an office in uh, obviously we're based in southwark and new cross this is our office um we've got an office in Hernhill and brixton uh we've got one in wimbledon uh, we've got one in lewisham that's our south london network uh we've got an office in stratford uh we've got an office in docklands uh, we've got we've got an office in Kilburn and Hampstead, so we've got a half decent London network, which is growing. Um, it's really strong up north. We've got a massive network up north. You know, altogether, it totals about one hundred and four, one hundred and thirty-five to one hundred and forty branches. I know recently a few people have uh, started their own offices, so I don't
0: know the exact figure. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a big old network. So the network you so you. So how, so, how did that work then? So how did that transition work? So you moved your original estate agents, and they do they? Um, it's not like a, is it a, a similar to a franchise model or do yeah, they, pretty
1: much
0: okay. exactly. So um, so
1: we just we just basically changed our name from Hannon Homes to UMove Move, and we you know we um, go through some of the You Move processes. Um, and, you know, uh, we now have a really, really amazing marketing team. You know, we've got an amazing sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, property management team as well. So it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a support network that's behind us that's, uh, that, that's really, really uh, good to have. You know, it's a, and um, the UMove ethos. You know, it's it's an ethos that we have to sort of follow, where we offer sort of certain, you know, like a happy, what's called a happy sale guarantee, where if a vendor, sorry, if 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 let's say Shaz, you buy a property through me, um, and uh, you know you're you're living there, and you decide, you know what, Cow, I'm not really happy here, you know, and you, if you decide to resell your property through me within a year, then. I sell it for you free of charge. That's our happy sale guarantee. Um, if you, Shaz, Mr. Landlord, are you know you, you've got you've basically um, rented a property out through me, um, and uh, I've rented it to a tenant, and then you decide you know what I'm not happy. I, I want to I want to rent to somebody else. I want to uh, get rid of this tenant and rent some rent to somebody else. Then I do it. I redo it for free, free of charge it's a happy landlord guarantee so it's you know the, these are certain ethos that you move have that other agents don't have uh which is something that we you know like to it's, it's a very service-based uh business you know a bespoke service which which is something that i quite like to
0: do amazing yeah no you know you, you're right definitely I, one thing i mentioned to you just before we started is the elephant. Mm-hmm. Way that you uh you uh you, you in your speech you, your eloquence in your communication skills obviously to <laughs> be an estate agent you need to be able to uh you need to be able to blag it a little bit right <laughs> comes with the territory but we we so we've got a minute and a half in this segment um if um in the next segment i want to talk to you more about the journey and how you managed to, to, to set up the business and, and, the mm. challenges and give people advice on that um maybe for now we can just continue on you move as a business how did that happen so you mentioned that you wanted to look at um a different ethos or philosophy for, for mm. what you do so how did that connection get made
1: um, well, it's, it's really a case of, you know, um, with our previous business, it came to a point where there are a lot of uh, regula- regulatory changes within the property industry itself. Um, so for my colleague and I, it was, it was a heck of a task staying on top of that as well as trying to write on new business. You know, half the time you're spending trying to keep up with regulations, trying to think of new marketing ideas, trying to think of literature that you're going to put on your revised website, uh, thinking of uh, what you're going to put on your next leaflet distribution, you know, marketing strategies, et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of that, you've got to think about, you know, doing new business and so forth. we then obviously we heard of you move through a uh, another connection that we have. Um, we inquired about we inquired about them. And obviously, you know, we, we then ascertained the fact that, you know, they have an entire marketing department that will take care of all of that for us. Um, so we just thought, oh, my God, you know, you can't, it's 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 hard
0: to lose, really. So, you know, we had numerous meetings with them w- with you the materialized materialize from that uh sorry to butt in so we finished uh, this segment <laughs> and uh, the next segment we'll be talking to cal more about his uh, journey to you move we'll be back after this break we are hanging out on 94.0 fm we have cal with us today our special guest who is a Let's say a serial entrepreneur. He has a business called You Move, um, and I want to talk to him today about how he went from working at Carphone Warehouse to becoming part of an award-winning estate agent network. And let's begin <clears throat> at Carphone Warehouse. So you, which which area did you work in? Because when I was at uni, I used to work at Phones for You. And there was a carphone warehouse opposite. Yeah, I was in
1: uh, I was in Exeter.
0: Exeter, cool, cool, yeah. cool. That's where you grew up, right? You, you grew up in, in Exeter, and then you yeah. moved to London um, after after uh, you finished with with, with the phone. So, so during the recession, basically, yeah. uh, it prompted me to
1: you know I I got the job offer from uh, from the firm in London, uh,
0: and and that's what prompted me to move, basically. Yeah. Cool and. Yeah. You, when you were working at, over at Carphone Warehouse, do you, I mean I remember my time at Phones for You? Like it was very scripted. Like I think uh, you know we had to go through a really rigorous like training session. I think that was one of the the reasons Phones for You had their success at the beginning because they were very hard sales and yeah. they were very scripted, and you were not allowed. You literally. <laughs> follow the script with a customer you couldn't move out the script otherwise your manager would give you the evil eye and you'd get disciplinaries it's yeah. ridiculous like how strict the script did you have, did you have the little checklist. checklist like yeah. you know you had to you had to move yeah. through the script and if you went off, yeah. it was all about moving prompting them to the next phase to ultimately yeah. get them to sit down and then qualify yeah, them and
1: successful
0: method that worked you know because
1: ultimately You know what? What what are you doing when you're selling something to someone? You're ascertaining the client's needs. You're finding out how much they spend every month, and then um, you know you try and better that and show them how you're going to save them money, and you know plus give them this shiny new phone, and you know and how can they say no? And that's what phones for you were very, very good at. You know, Carphone Warehouse was very different. Carphone Warehouse, you just had people just going in because Carphone Warehouse always had the strongest deals because they had the best relationships with the networks. They had the cheapest phones, cheapest deals. So people were just going in. We were just order processors. That's the truth
0: of it. I do remember that Carphone Warehouse was obviously the uh, the biggest com- competitor that had the highest market. Yeah phones for you started to really do well in the first few years because yeah. I think it was the hard sales. And I do remember people that worked over at Carphone Warehouse, used to always have a little bit of a rivalry with them when you were yeah, And sure. you do, I do remember it was much more laid back in Carphone Warehouse because you had the brand, you had the you yeah. had the links, whereas Phones for You was trying to grab market share. And yeah. it was just a hard environment. I enjoyed it, but did you feel that when you were at Carphone Warehouse, that contributed to you becoming a good seller because what you're doing now is sales as well you know you're
1: yeah, uh, I think so for sure because ultimately it taught me to you know to find out you know the establishing the client's needs uh, you know and and offering them alternatives if one product that you have offered them is not right for you right for them and yes, things like, you know, uh, one, one ethos that Carf and Warehouse had was always under promise and over deliver. And um, that's one thing that I've taken throughout my sort of career is, you know, uh, definitely never ever over deliver and under, you know, sorry, uh, sorry, never ever over promise and under deliver, but do it the other way around. Because, you know, if a client is expecting a certain level and then you give them a level above, then it just makes them a lot happier and it increases the chances of
0: repeat business. Yeah, definitely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Over deliver is it never, it never fails because the the expectations have been met and you've gone beyond that. And I think that builds the rapport, especially with the business. I think branding as well, I think it helps from a branding perspective because Biggest, you know, the, the the best form of marketing is word of mouth. And if you can build such a strong relationship with a customer on the outset, and you're not just simply trying to sell them something, absolutely. It leaves a sour taste sometimes when you get sold something and you're, you're under delivering, but the other way around, you're going to be coming back. So it helps you with Hannah and Holmes. And then what was the uh you, you you did say that you kind of had this uh epiphany like inspiration that you felt that you know you wanted to um you know you wanted to do something new you you ended up working for an estate agent yeah someone who was mentoring you and then you <coughs> for like six years or so um yes. and then your mentor gay kind of almost gave you the inspiration to do this for yourself because you'd seen processes you'd seen the operational side of it and you just thought well i could do this myself why am i working the thing is you know uh, yeah uh, a
1: lot of people you know you you do think to yourself yeah i could do this for myself but that wasn't really my form of thinking. My form of thinking was I'm getting to an age where I gotta give it a go. If I don't do it now, you know, I was very comfortable where I was. You know, I was, I was uh, you know, uh, I knew the ins and outs of, of, of that business. Um, you know, my boss trusted me. You know, he'd go away on, you know, like a long three week holiday and I'd be running the firm perfectly. You know, I, I was very comfortable there. But I thought to myself, I got to a point where it's, it's now or never. You know, if I don't do it, then I'll always always—I'd forever be regretting that. Oh, God, I had the opportunity, but I didn't do it. You know, so, uh, yeah, that, that, that that's ultimately why we did it. You know, um, and with, uh, you know, w- with that journey, you know, going from a very comfortable position, you know, where you're earning a monthly salary every month, going to starting your own business, you know. It's. It was a massive step, you know. It was a huge like change in lifestyle, in you know, mental well-being as well. You know, it was it was massive, you know. And yeah, for anyone out there that thinks starting a business is easy, it really isn't. It's really, really not easy at all. Yeah, it's really not easy at all.
0: But then, do you get? So you <laughs> mentioned that you you thought it's now or never, and yeah. that that is something that I talk about a lot is you don't, you have finite time. Like if you're going to do something, do it. It doesn't matter if you, it doesn't matter if you fail. I mean, you, you yeah. learn so much from failures. And yeah. as really. long as it's, as long as, I mean, we believe in destiny, pre preordained destiny anyway. Yeah. So if you fail, so what? You know, you do something else and you had a fallback. You knew the business. If you had to, you know, close a business, you got, could have gone back to working for Absolutely. an employer. So is that I mean how do you get people over that barrier though because I know a lot of people don't do business because of that reason they they're scared yep. essentially they're worried Absolutely I think I think
1: the main thing is preparation you know be prepared you know if you're going if you're going to start a business that business isn't going to generate you an income immediately unless you have something absolutely you know revolutionary and you have you know, a million people looking to invest via crowdfunding and so forth. You know, you uh, as a person, you have unless you're living at home with mom, and dad, or whatever. You know, and you have absolutely no outgoings. You know, with myself, that was totally not the case. Um, you know, you have to have a certain you know amount of money coming in every month. So, you know, preparation is, I would say, before you quit your job and start a business, is have, I would say, have a year's worth of, you know, like a salary saved up just for your life. You know, obviously, when you start your business, you know, you're going to need to cut back on spending on, you know, your nice fancy car or going out on restaurants and whatever that sort of thing that's all going to need to you're going to need to cut all that back because you're not receiving a salary so yeah ha- have that buffer saved up so that you know you you can at least pay your bills and so forth and you know um, and obviously you're going to need a certain amount to start your business so keep that separate as well and, um, and and yeah, and, and that's it. Really, you know, you find a lot of businesses start falling apart because the business owners aren't prepared for what's the change that they're going to come across once they start that business, and uh, that, that you know that it's essential that you have that preparation in place.
0: Yeah. So, you're, let's talk about the preparation. So, you mm-hmm. get basically a twelve month. Uh, salary, which which is a really good um, piece of feedback, because then you have that fallback, and you know you haven't got worried about bills. Um, for mm. And I also think, like I've read before, that um, you know the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, you know, money is essentially up to a certain extent. Once you can pay for your bills, and you're not worried about paying bills, and you have a little mm. extra beyond that, you don't feel any happier making more money um and if you take that mindset because I think you took that mindset that 12 months I have enough money cover my bills you know at the end of the day you've got a family to think about Mm. you're not taking as big a risk um and do would you say that that was the key did did, was that one of your key reasons for starting a business that you had money in the you had cash at hand and you thought to yourself risk versus reward um this if it doesn't pay off in a year it doesn't matter i'm you know i'm going to have fallback funds is that was that the thing that took you to the next step of sort of doing it or if you didn't have 12 months of cash let's say you had no cash and you only had (coughs) enough Start the business. Would you have still done it? Would you have still made that decision?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I didn't have, if I didn't have uh, any money to fall back upon, it would have been very difficult to uh, start the business because you know uh, you're going to run out. You're going to run out of money very, very quickly. You're going to start falling behind on your bills. You know, the pressure is going to start building up. You know, you're going to run into major debts. You're going to start missing your mortgage payments. You're, you know, you're going to fall behind electricity bills. And that's the last thing you bloody well want <laughs> whilst you're trying to get a business up and running, you know. So, yeah, I mean, you know, look, uh, we, we started, my colleague and I, we started this business with very little money. We did, we, we probably put in about £5,000 each. You know, that's that starting our company. We were on a very strict budget where, you know, we had to try and find, uh, get a website done as reasonably, uh, uh, with as reasonable price as possible, you know, find a cheap office space, you know, desks, computers, so forth. You know, so it is possible, but, you know, it's how comfortable you want to be during that process. You know, if you have no, if you have no, uh, backup of your own sort of lifestyle so if you haven't saved that money for your bills your rent or mortgage payments or whatever then you know it's about how much pressure you can handle with myself I didn't want that unnecessary you know thought on the back of my head oh, oh no oh no You know, how am I going to pay my how am I going to pay my electricity bill next month how am I going to pay my council tax and so forth that's why I took the time to just have that bit of money saved so that I've got that cover, uh, you
0: know, if if needs be, basically. Yeah. And in your first year uh, of setting up, like, what were what was the process? So because you set up essentially set up a brick and mortar business as well, because you're an estate agent, so you're working out of your your office, not from not digitally, right? You, yes. You had an uh, online website, but you but everything was mainly done face to face. Yeah. Right? So yeah, how, did that, how did that go? So how was your first year and what were kind of the challenges um, that you had?
1: Well, the, the first year, the first year was, um, you know, you make no money in the first year because, well, the first year, the business, you know, it, it registers a loss. You know, it's as simple as that because the first year is when the business has the most expenditure. Okay. You've had to spend a ton of money on getting started. You've had to spend spend a ton of money on, you know, marketing. And, you know, when you are sort of starting from the very beginning, your marketing is probably at its highest because you're trying to get your name out there to as many people as possible. So, you know, so towards the end of the first year, you know, we when our accountants did our sort of, you know, uh, end of year accounts, it came out as a loss, you know. Um, so it's it's on year two and year three when that loss starts reducing you know and then after year three you start seeing a profit you know because at the end of the day yeah okay you can take certain funds back as expenses and so forth but what you're trying to do for the first at least three years is trying to get your company out of the you know the loss that it was in and that that was (laughs) on the first year you know it was at a loss you know, we're in a we're in an area in Bernanzee, Canada Water. Yeah. You know, there are some big corporate agents. So it's not easy getting business, you know, um, uh, especially when you've got these big corporates that are operating. So we had to really we have to really graft, you know. We had to, you know, uh, so at some points I was meeting clients, you know, i.e. The portfolio landlords at 10 o'clock at night, you know,
0: wow. because... Carl, okay, I'm going to, have to stop you there. We're going to, because we've got so much yeah. to talk about. We're going to talk about this in the third segment. Yeah. Uh, we will be back after this short break. And we are hanging out on 94.0 FM. We have Cal in the house. He's been telling us so much about his um, his uh, journey from all the way back from when we met at, during university days uh, through to um, present day where Cal's running a successful state agents um, and we were just touching on your, year, your first few years in business. Um, one of the highlights for me was that you mentioned you were able to become profitable within three years, which says to me that you, you would have, number one, been working tirelessly because most businesses fail um, within the first couple of years, within the first few years, I'd say probably 90% plus businesses. You were not one of those businesses, which is, which is, um, which, mashallah, is amazing, amazing news um, that you're able to continue to do this. Um, but what I would love to understand is how. How did you successfully navigate those first few years when you were making a loss? And you mentioned as well that um, you, were making a loss and you weren't pay. you were paying you were or were not paying expenses I can't remember but did you pay yourself during that first few years if not how were you kind of surviving because obviously you're not making a profit
1: yeah um well obviously you know referring back to the you know that the amount that you know you kind of that buffer that you had saved before you started the business in order to maintain yourself. So obviously there was use of that, cutting back on lifestyle. Um, and obviously as the business was going on, you know, there were there were points where you could repay yourself some expenses here and there. You know, um, so we were able to do, you know, as we were able to sort of repay ourselves at some points, you know, some of the expenses that we had incurred during the setup of the business so that made life a little bit easier um, but yeah it's it's just it's just through sort of hard work you know it's it's a uh, you've got to work your butt off you've got to cut back on the luxuries that life has to offer you know and um, yeah you've just got to be got to be prepared to put the put the hours in put the work in you've got to be prepared for disappointments.
0: You know, for highs, for lows, yeah, absolutely everything. Do you pay yeah. yourself a salary now, or do you still just yeah. put everything back into the business? Yeah. Yeah. And do you, obviously, as a director of the business, you'd be a director. Mm-hmm. Do you also? How how does it work from from like a? Um, do you, do you also pay yourself out through dividends? Um, yeah. Through yeah.
1: So as a a director, you take a standard director's wage, okay, Um, And then on top of that, if you you take any more than the standard director's wage, then you get taxed um, on that. And you've got to pay national insurance on that as well. Um, We we take take dividends. uh, We can either take it every quarterly or every month. It's totally up to us. and, uh, you know, obviously because we are driving around a lot because we're estate agents, um, we also get a mileage allowance as well, which is about 40, 45 p per mile, uh, which over the course of the month does add up to uh, a bit. So, you know, we we get that as well, which helps out on, you know, if we have
0: a car or something like that, it just helps out on, you know, that basically. know so, your business how does it work like how, how do you actually generate money from, from your business um
1: well, it's it's really uh, a case of so you know we're we, we do sales we do rentals and we do property management so we basically have a portfolio of clients who have you know properties who own properties and um so that's so i'll start off with the management side first so we have a, we have uh, a bunch of Clients who own properties, um, you know, and what we do is we look after those properties for them because they're busy, they've got their own lives, or they live overseas. It's very difficult and impractical for them to look after it themselves. So they say to us, "Cal, rent out my property for me. Look, you know, look after the day-to-day. Um, you know, collect my rent. Pay, you know, we we collect a fee and then we pay them the rest. So." you know we have a you know a quite a few properties that we do that where you know we look after the day to day we manage the tenants sort out any repairs that need doing and we collect a fee for that so that for us is our that pays us like a monthly income every month which is almost contracted and guaranteed because we have these properties on tenancy agreements between 12 and 24 months so that pays us a monthly uh uh income which pretty much covers our bills and so forth um we then have the sales department where uh which my colleague pretty much runs he uh takes on properties uh where clients are looking to sell their property or market it find a buyer sell the property and we get a fee for that um and then we've got the rental side which i do uh, majority of uh, again We'll have a landlord that will approach us or, you know, uh, the, yeah, they'll say to us, All right, got this property to rent. Can you find me a tenant? We'll find a tenant. You know, we'll market it, find a tenant, move them in, and we'll collect a fee. So those are the three main avenues of how we uh, generate our income, our revenue.
0: You kind of have multiple streams uh, of income within the state agent. So it's not just selling houses. It's actually the letting side as well. It seems like quite lucrative because that's like more of a, uh, retainer that you a monthly retainer that you have with yeah clients. exactly
1: yeah. with the management side yes for
0: sure yeah, for sure yeah. so, so the management side is really interesting because not i guess i mean it's not something that everyone would n- necessarily think about within a state agent is mm. you can also have these agreements in place with with um with clients you know like to manage <laughs> properties to you know and, and that would include like collecting i guess collecting rent and making sure that the premises and stuff is Looking, looking right, and dealing with 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 uh, tenant issues and that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. The main sort of you know that is what keeps most estate agencies afloat is by having that management portfolio where you know uh, the income generated from that management portfolio is paying for the rent, paying for the bills paying for all the membership costs because within the state agency, there are so many membership costs that you've got to pay. So, um, you know, because it's quite a heavily regulated industry, you know? Um, so, you know, there are, there are government bodies like the property redress, redress scheme and, uh, anti-money laundering, uh, authority and so forth. So we've got to pay memberships to those bodies so, and they can equate to quite a bit. So it just, you know, keeps all of those paid basically, yeah.
0: Selling of the property, is that, is that the more lucrative side? Is that where you make most your- Yeah,
1: really, you know, um, when you sell a property, it's, uh, yeah, it definitely generates a lot more than let's say a rental um, uh, you know, property does, but it takes a lot longer for that process to go through. So when you're selling an apartment, you know, it can take three, four, five months for that transaction to finish. You know, um, when you're selling a house, it can take up to two to three months for that transaction to finish. So, yes, it does create more revenue, but the process is a lot more, you know, it's a lot more involving and there's a lot more work involved and there's a lot of, um, yeah, it takes a lot longer.
0: Nice. And you obviously during this time, you know, last since March. Yes your business being because lots of businesses have closed how's the housing market um it's a bit of a funny
1: one you know during lockdown rentals weren't very very quiet because no one wants to come out to view properties and so forth uh all the property transactions came to a freeze in march and then eventually it was the ceo of zoopla who told advised the government look you know you've got billions of pounds worth of transactions locked up here. At least let the property market go back to work and then you can get these transactions going again. So the government declared that estate agencies could go back to work, so we did. And, um, you know, it's uh, obviously with the chancellor announcing the whole stamp duty holiday up until April well, or end of March next year. That's really sort of kickstarted again the, the sales market. So a lot of first time buyers are out there looking at properties. There are some half decent uh, 5% deposit uh, mortgages out there as well. Um, so that's kept the sales market pretty buoyant. Um, obviously we're in a lockdown at the moment so the rental market and obviously on the run up to Christmas and so forth, it it does get quiet it's noticeably a lot quieter than normal Uh, I mean I've been doing this uh, for the last 10 years and this is for rentals, this is the quietest I've ever experienced it
0: and that's I mean that's um, that makes sense, I mean we we, um, we, I mean I guess all the the chain closes down in the during lockdown because you've got surveyors that need to see the property you've got tenants that need to leave you've got uh viewers that need to see the property so it's all that chain closes down so that would have helped your business once that was opened up again um all this process that happens in the background that you don't really have control over um And since then, since you've opened back up, would you say businesses back to where it would have been for selling properties? I know lettings are down, but what about, set, what about the housing market in general? Still lots of properties being sold?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the sales market is certainly stronger than it was before, purely because of the amount of uh, decent mortgage products out there. Because um, when it comes to the sales market, there are so many prevailing factors you know how the the level of decent mortgage products out there um if there's a stamp duty holiday or something like that and at the moment we've got decent mortgage products out there on the high street or bespoke lenders and also you've got a stamp duty holiday so anything up to half a million quid you're not paying any stamp duty upon, on especially as first-time buyers so that's really going to motivate first-time buyers, buyers that are using the bank of mom and dad because that's a massive sort of sector um so yeah the 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 sales market certainly is it's uh,
0: busier than usual so a question which you might be able to have some insight on the the islamic mortgage lenders Yes. Uh, do you what's your opinion on that side of the um uh, market and and do you get many buyers that want those products that use those products because i know that there's a there's a market for it there's certainly a a demand for it but do you you, what do you feel about those products uh maybe you can give like a synopsis of what it is first that people to be be honest uh,
1: you know it's one of those things where uh, you know in in the 10 years i've been uh, i've been doing this i've never sold a property to someone purchasing using an Islamic mortgage, you know, and, and that kind of, in my opinion, and this isn't the opinion of anybody else but my own, that kind of sums it up, really, you know, that's the way I see it, you know, I don't want to be negative, it's basically, the Islamic mortgage is, the, the, my perspective on it, and please, anyone who's, going to correct me on this please go ahead because I'm, I'm not too clued up on it but my perspective is is that the bank obviously purchases the property for you know in on your behalf and then you're paying the bank you know the repayments in what they call rent um that's how I understand it and um and yeah you know and look you know at the end of the day when you're taking out a mortgage you know, you, you know, the bank technically owns the property until you've repaid that mortgage. And where the harama aspect of it is, or the you know uh, the questionable aspect of it is, where is the fact that they're charging you, they're charging you interest on that, whereas an Islamic mortgage doesn't. Um, I, me personally, I, again, I'll stress this: I haven't looked so much into it, but if it was, if it was a good thing there would be a lot of people using it you know um do you think
0: because of the the markup like the the rates that they have to um pay so obviously versus a traditional lender i can't imagine it's a lot more expensive because they're essentially i think as you say they're kind of i don't know exactly don't quote me on this but they buy the property on your behalf or own the property on your behalf i guess pay the (laughs) the the full full amount and then you pay them back um, without the interest, but that just seems to me that there will be a huge markup on top. No,
1: absolutely. That mark. I think that markup is what puts a lot of people off. Yeah, because you know, um, with the interest rates, yeah, it can go up, but it could also go down. Whereas the fact that you know these guys, the Islamic mortgage, is paying you that. That you know, well, well you, it's making that markup, you're paying it regardless, whether it could <laughs> what puts a lot of, uh, people off,
0: you know. Uh, yeah, it's it good to get your opinion on that, but um, thanks, Cal. So, we are into the last 30 seconds, Cal. You know, you've been really interesting. Cal's story is you know, working out of university during um, the recession, thought, right, I need to to do something different. Um, started at Carphone Warehouse and then started up his own business as an estate agent, learnt from a mentor and now works in an award-winning estate agent called YouMove. So congratulations on all your success. Well done on being one of those uh, very few businesses that have survived during this last you know, for, for, for six odd years or whatever you've been in business. Yeah. um, We can find you guys. How I think uh, would it be best to go through you move.com? Yeah. Just go to www.umove.com.
1: Uh, You know, if, if you're, you know, you're to just go on
0: the website and uh, all our details are on there. Amazing. Thanks Cal. We've been hanging out with Cal 94.0 FM. We'll be back really soon. Take care.